0: I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. So wonderful to have gifted musicians in our congregation. It's so good to just have the blessing of music that lifts our hearts up before the Lord, especially this time of year. Uh, Just a wonderful thing to be able to sing praises for our Savior, the one who was born for us. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. We'll go down to verse 24. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness carousing and things like these of which I forewarned you just as I also forewarned you that those who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such thing there is no law now those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just pray for grace today as your word goes forth. I pray that it works in our heart, produces the outcome that you would have. And Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege of being able to open this word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying sin and it's, it's not the, the best of topics. It's not, you're not gonna attract the crowds when you're studying sin. We're studying sin in the context of spiritual warfare. We study sin because we're combating it in our own life. We're fighting it in our own life. It, it's not fun. It's not a fun topic to, to wade through, but it's something that's necessary. And I point out what J.C. Ryle pointed out is the fact if we're gonna know holiness, If we're going to know righteousness and God's expectations of us, then we need to study, in fact, we have to start, he says, start by studying sin, what sin is. And that's what we're doing here. Also because sin is the major problem of man. The the biggest problem that man has is, is not psychological, it's not mental, it's not a medical problem. It's not a political problem that we see in the world today. It's not financial or social problem. It is a sin problem. It's a spiritual problem. That's where we are. It's a sin problem. If we don't realize sin and we don't understand sinfulness, we will not realize the the power that it has over us. We will not realize the enslavement that we are to sin. And we will never come to understand our hopelessness. And helplessness to do anything about our sin. And we will never understand the need for a Savior. We will not understand that we need a Savior. Also, we will not understand or kind of minimize the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and in salvation. That it takes the, the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to our own sinfulness. Um, others can point out sin in our life. Nathaniel. Nathan, the, the prophet, he pointed out sin in David's life, and David understood that. But even then I believe that it takes the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life to convict us of our sin, to show us of our sin, at least to the to the depth that it takes to change that sin, to the to the point, to bring us to the point of our hopelessness our helplessness, to the point that we cry out to the Lord for holiness and righteousness in our own life. So we have to understand sin, folks. We have to study sin. It's not fun. It's like sludging through muck and manure in a barn or stable. This is not fun, but we need to do this. We started off a couple of weeks ago by defining sin. And we looked at, at three elements here that we see in Scripture. Firstly, it's missing the mark. It's, failing to, uh, it's falling short of, of God's glory. God's glory, His expectations of us, is, is up here. And we fall far short of that. It's also, number two, it's breaking God's law. It's, it's, rebelling, against, it's rebelling against God. It's uh, high treason, shaking our fist in God's face. And number three, we see the scripture in, in Scripture is that is perversion. It's a crookedness, a, a twisting of reality, distortion of reality. We looked at the history of sin a couple of weeks ago. That it started with the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Um, and at the, at the very core, their very nature was changed. It was now distorted. Um, it affected the mind, the heart, the emotions, the will, and they had the tendency now to sin, the the habituation, habituation of sin, to to, to think sinfully rather than holy, holy, and that nature then was passed on from generation to generation, to generation, and no one was exempt. No one, no one escaped that. Not even one person. Now, as a result of that, then, we are a whole race of people that are in, open, in an open state of rebellion against God. Just like Satan was. He Pride filled his heart. That's exactly the way we are. We see pride fills our heart. We elevate ourselves. That twists our morals, our values. Uh, we think we are more important than anything else. And we live then in a state of deception, self-deception, in an alternate universe, in a a lie. We're lying to ourselves. We're twisting the truth. We've rejected God's truth and we've convoluted wisdom and we now live in this false uh, universe, essentially. Something that we've made up in our own mind. Paul says it's vain uh uh, imaginations, and our own imaginations. And then number three, as a result of that then, we are uh, seeking independence from God. The one that we need to be dependent upon now, we are, we're seeking our own independence from God. We think we can handle it on our own. We are so self-deceived, and our responsibilities to God have been twisted and distorted a little bit. Now, even creation itself groans even creation was affected because of that sin it will not produce for man as it once did as it, as it should as we would expect it to there's problems there's sin uh, sin problems on the earth in fact we're in the state of sin it's a condition of a, the heart it's the condition of this world it's in a state of sin we live in sin and folks if we die in sin our destiny is hell hell awaits for us if if things don't change if something doesn 't change we die in our sin, hell awaits for us so there's the good news isn't it we there's a there's a, a, a hope here this is a that, that there is a safe place that we can move from being in our sins move to being In Christ. That's the biblical terminology. We put our faith and trust in Christ. He takes His righteousness and puts it on us. And takes our sin and puts it on Him. And He nails that sin to the cross. He abolished sin on the cross. Sin and death on the cross. So much so that Romans chapter 8, Paul says, There is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. And that's the safe place. That's where we want to be. Not in our sins, but in Christ. Now, with that being said, you would think that we, there would be some instant holiness. When you become a Christian, that you'd be instantly holy. I, I wish that were so. But it's just not the case. It's not the case. So we have to fight. We have to fight the struggles within our own self. This, this spiritual warfare really starts within our own heart. We have to fight against our own tendency to sin. We fight because we are, we're still in this flesh, in this sinful flesh, is the biblical terminology. And that causes a problem, causes the problem. And, And this is, this is, I think, the problem that the church faces today. It's hard to define sin. It's hard to know what to what to uh, fight against. It's hard to know even how to identify it, because there's a couple reasons. Number one, we see in Proverbs uh, why the wisdom of Solomon says that that man in his natural state he thinks that he is right. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end is is death. We we think we're right we think we have good judgment when we have bad judgment we think that we are right when we are wrong everything seems right in our own eyes we're not going to do something that's wrong we we understand what's right we're the we're the judge of what is right well we know that that's that's part of the problem we can't identify that so we need laws we need laws. We need an outside source to tell us then what sin is and where we are messing up, where we are are sinning. And of course, we see that Moses gave us the Ten Commandments. God gave us the Ten Commandments through Moses. And we need that objective standard to to show us, to point out to us our own sinfulness. But those laws, folks, do not... Those laws do not make us holy, do they? They don't. They don't make us holy. They're, they're, there aren't standards, those laws are not standards for holiness. That, that's, that's far beyond just laws. The most that laws can do, the best that laws can do is just expose our heart. They tell us what sin is so that that can be corrected and we can we can move on from there, but that holiness is so much higher. There's another problem with identifying sin and, and this uh, in our own hearts and labeling sin is that there's not enough laws that can be written to govern the heart, is there? <laughs> we just can't make enough laws uh, uh to, to, govern the heart. In fact, what we see in verse 23, the passage that I read earlier, uh, uh, verse 23, gentleness, self-control, against such, there is no law. In fact, there's, there's no law. Uh, we can, uh, govern the heart to, to make us love. We can't do that, or, or have patience, or kindness, or faithfulness. There's, there's no law that can be written. We try, but we just, we just can't. We can't, can't do that. And so in summary, the, the laws can't really govern our action, or they can govern our actions, they can point out actions, but they really can't, they do a poor job about governing our heart. Uh, just this week, we've been, I've been listening to, uh, the account that these three presidents—the student president or uh, presidents of uh, Harvard, MIT, and Penn University of Pennsylvania—were standing before Congress, giving an account for the the actions on their campus, and uh, and they find it hard to even define these things. I mean, they can control some actions. Says, we're going to take some action here, but the reality is. They can't control the hearts of these kids, these students. The, the words that come out of their mouth, they, they can't control it. We have free speech. And so it's, it's difficult. It makes it hard for us to even fight against sin. We need those laws, but those laws don't make us holy. What needs to happen is for the Holy Spirit to come in and, as Christ said, to cause us to be born again. And that's what's necessary. To produce holiness from the inside out. It's not conforming to laws, but it's producing holiness from the inside out. Making us righteous with a new nature. And the Holy Spirit living within us, being born again, that is going to produce holiness in our life. It's not a conformity to laws. Now, we have a, a Christianity today, I, I think, that is has missed the point have a Christianity today that, that kind of lives down here at this, just this level of, of baseness. I think it's a pseudo-Christianity that, that as long as you're a good moral person, as long as you're a good citizen, then, then you're okay. But that's the way the scribes and the Pharisees were, weren't they? The uh, Christ spoke out against them. They were good moral people. In fact, they were the best people of that day. And and Christ said, "Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of of heaven." So the standard is much higher than just keeping the laws. Keeping the laws is down here, and we have a whole Christianity that seems like, "Oh, we, we, as long as we keep the law, we're fine." But that's not pursuit of holiness. God's expectation for God's children is holiness in every situation. Holiness in every situation. We are to be holy as He is what? Holy. That's it. So this Christianity is, is, we're not called as Christians just to, to not sin. To not, not just, not sin and not just, uh, okay, keep the law. But to go far beyond that. We're not called to, well, just don't kill your neighbor, right? We are to what? Love our neighbor. We don't go through, well I would say, well I didn't kill my neighbor today, I must be a good person. No, that's not the way it works. We, we love our neighbor. As husbands, we are not to, to commit adultery. That's the, the law part. That's about the only thing that we can govern. There, don't commit adultery, but the Bible goes be far beyond that and says you live with your wife in an understanding way. You sacrifice. You sacrifice for your wife. You, you love your wife. The law says don't steal, but then the Bible comes along. We see in scripture to please God, we work so that we can have to give. So the standard is far above than just, just living the law. Christ says, uh, don 't be angry go go far beyond no not being angry don't don 't even be say those unkind words to your to your brother and in fact we see in scripture a soft answer uh turns away wrath wives we're not called to just obey your husbands, but there's a reverence and a respect for your husbands. We're not called to just raise kids, but but to raise them in the fear and the admonition of God. There's a, a law, there's a level at which we can govern people's behavior, but righteousness is far beyond that. We need to get that in our mind. And we have a Christianity today that lowers the bar, that thinks, oh, as long as we're not uh, uh, killing, and, and uh, as long as we stay out of jail, then we're okay. But that's just not the case. The more I study Scripture, you just don't see that righteousness is far uh, beyond what we we have in our understanding today. In fact, it, looking at these two things, we see uh, two different lifestyles. There's a, a vast difference between the world and the and the believer. The more I see in Scripture, that's just the way it is. But we seem to live in this Christianity today that that wants to be like the world. They're bringing the two together and instead of being uh, worlds apart, they're trying to bring this together for us to be like the world in order to win the world. And that is unbiblical, that's unscriptural. It's not what we see in Scripture at all. We have different attitudes than the world, different words than the world, different character than the world. Different goals, different purposes from the world. In fact, we, we see in scripture a different lifestyle for the believer than the world. And I, I think we just have a Christianity that seems like they're just playing games. Playing games. They're just seeing how close to the world they can, they can become. Now, there's, there's three ideas that we see in scripture just in summarizing this. That the Christian is called to this high standard. And we see that that God has uh, given us a new capacity for that standard. A new love. He's also, we see in scripture, that oil and water don't mix. Darkness and light don't mix. Uh, uh, Satan and Christ don't mix. Sin and righteousness don't mix. It, it just, the two cannot go together. And in number three you see a We see in Scripture that there's a you should prepare for persecution. There's enough of a distinction between the world and the Christian that there's going to be conflict. There's going to be persecution. That's part of this spiritual warfare, isn't it? Many times the world is going to just, because of that distinction, because there's a world apart, the, the world is going to misunderstand us. They're going to see us as hypocrites. Well, nobody can be that perfect but they don't know the holy spirit producing this holiness in us. In fact what we see a few hundred years back there was a the church was in this about the same kind of condition if you read history the church is in about the same kind of condition as it is today. And there was these these christians that were calling for purity within the church. So much so that that became their label, wasn't it? Puritan and they became persecuted. Bloody Mary came along and killed many of them. They, they began to scatter and go really all throughout the earth, the world. And we see pockets of these Puritans and they arrived on the shore of Americans. We see Puritans here in America. But that's what, they were calling for a purity within the church. Purity. Not just to don't break the law, but a pursuit of righteousness and distinction from the world. Now, my point is that Paul helps us with this. That's what, one of the points here that, that Paul is emphasizing here is that there's a, a vast difference and he helps us to understand that huge difference and he identifies then the marks of the flesh and then the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our life. And, and again, it's worlds apart. It's a completely different thing. But God's standard is so much higher, folks, much more, much higher than than what we imagine, much higher than we realize that God calls us to holiness because he is holy, holy in every situation. And Paul helps us with this fruit of the spirit and living uh, in the life that the the flesh produces And we've been studying these things. We've been looking at these, studying these things out. And like I said, it's just not fun. It's like you come away contaminated. You come away dirty. You come away feeling like you've been wallowing in a pig pen. You say, well, why do we do that? Why study these lists? Why did Paul give us this list of the flesh? He gives us 15 of these things. Why study this, Paul? Why give us this list? Why, why, uh, why go through this? I think it's good for us. I think it's good for us to understand and go through this list. Number one, because it, it helps us to understand sin. What sin is. And then number two, it exposes our sin in our own heart. It exposes our own sinfulness. So that raises a question here. What is the standard? What is our standard? Ask Christians. Just tell me what to do, pastor, and I'll do it. Tell me what holiness is, and I'll conform to it. Well, you've missed the point, haven't you? We don't conform to it. We are to be holy as He is holy. We are to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. But it still raises the question, what, a, uh, uh, what, what is the standard for the, for the believer? Now, Let's go to our passage here. We see, uh in verse nineteen that these are the fruits, or this is the the work of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, that's what Paul calls it. Now we looked at the flesh a couple of weeks ago that the flesh let me just reiterate the characteristics of the flesh. This is the the unredeemed part of man. this is we, we might say the old nature. But he characterizes it in this passage as having desires. The, the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit. Number two, another thing that he does is the, the flesh looks for opportunity. Now we need to know that. The flesh is constantly looking for opportunity to sin, to, to show itself. Number three, it it is uh, opposite of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to work and and combat the flesh. You see, they're in opposition in verse 16. Opposition to one another. And then, also in verse 19, we see that the works of the flesh, he says, are evident. They're plainly seen. You can see when people are just operating out of the flesh. And number number five is that they are still, there's still a threat. That flesh... Is still a threat for the believer. We will never come to the position in our life that that, that we've completely uh, mastered the flesh, and it's and it's just a it's a threat. Then, now what we see breaking breaking down these these characteristics of the flesh, these deeds of the flesh. We see three major categories: sexual sins. We see religious sins. There's two of those, and then we see the majority. Uh, as as relational sins. Relational. And I think that's probably the major problem that the church at Corinth was having, that Paul was having to address. The first one we see is a sexual sin. In verse 19, let me just read verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. The first three, having to do with sexual sins. Impurity. Pornea is the first word. That we see, it's a word that we get our word for pornography from, and, and it, it, uh, means, it, it is, uh, gives the connotation of any sexual sin, uh, homo, from homosexuality to bestiality to premarriage, premarital sex to incest to, to, uh, prostitution, all of those. Now, I want to point out that in our world today, those things are not considered sin. Those are alternative lifestyles. They're not really sins. In fact, we have an idea or this this uh, mentality today that uh, in Proverbs thirty verse twenty, like the prostitute in Proverbs, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, "I've done nothing wrong." We've just become amoral as a as a society. These are these are not sins. There's nothing wrong with these things. It's just an alternative, alternative. But here's the standard for the believer. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 12, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. For it is it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done in secret. Don't even speak about those things. Some of those, in fact, it's awkward for me to read those terms, isn't it? Describing those sexual sins, you know, some of those we don't even want to know about. Those are far from the believer. At least they should be. Now, here's my concern as far as applications: we we dare not pick up the attitude from the world. I think that's the the biggest issue for us: is to reduce man down to just the animal level. There's just an alternative lifestyle. It's just functions of the body. It's just like sleep. Well, you need sleep. You need to use the restroom every once in a while. You, you, there's just a normal functions of the body. That kind of thinking does not belong in the, in the believer's life. We don't even want to know what is done in secret. We don't even want to go that direction. And I point these things out because man, you can pick up anything from the internet, can't you? You can see. It's not just known. You can watch a video on everything. It's sad. Number two is impurity. Just means uncleanness. It means decay. Really, it's used in Matthew chapter twenty-three uh, as uh, rottenness, a rotten corpse in, in the tomb, and it's impurity of of the heart. He's talking about here, um, this uh, this corrosive element within within the heart, like a battery. Sometimes your your battery gets so corroded on the outside, you have to break it and tear uh tear down that corrosive material get rid of that and then put the terminals back on or it's in, it's like an infection in the body that has to be gotten rid of and the standard for the believer is, is not just a don't not impurity but but goes far beyond that and Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 he says but immorality and impurity and greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints we shouldn't even have the suspicion of those things the, the, no rumor of those impurities should be among us. That's the standard. Again, far from the believer. So, as far as application, what are some of those corrosive things within the heart? I started thinking about this this week. It's bitterness, isn't it? That festers within the heart. That this uh, this putrid. That's that's like a a, a fungus or a. a uh, something that's that's growing inside that's just a decaying hatred, vengeance, rebellion, spite, corruptness. And those things are not even to be seen among the church. They, they ruin your life. There's no chance in pleasing God when those things are in our life. Number three, sensuality. Sensuality. This is, again, sexual sins, but the emphasis here, this is interesting, the emphasis here is uh, uninhibited sexual immorality. It's kind of flaunting. This is unabashed, uh, shameless expressions of, of sex. And boy, don't we see that in our society today. It's just lewdness. And and the key behind it is it's rooted in pride. It's rooted in pride. It, it's sexual sins, but it's it's I wanna I wanna flaunt, I want to show it. I want to I want everybody to see it. It's not just I, I it's not just doing it, but it's flaunting it. It's it's showing it's wanting approval from other people. Boy, it's exactly what we see. There's, there's arrogance here, there's shamelessness here. And it reminds you of the city. Of Sodom, the men in Sodom, isn't it just exactly that kind of thing? It, just so brazen and so full of arrogance and pride, they they go and they demand the guests from Lot's Lot's family. And I think it comes from just from within. I, I, again, I, I think it's just arrogance that they think they're right. They. Uh, they, they excuse their own behavior. They block out their own conscience. There, they've blamed it on their DNA. Well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way the Lord made me. It's just DNA. I, I'm just following out the flesh. I can't. I can't help that. It's personality, or it's other people. There's always something else to blame and, and take the blame off of me. And I'm just going to live. And you won't. You wouldn't want me to to be anything but true to myself, right? Heard that that kind of idea. The Bible says that is just suppressing the truth. That's just self-deception. That's exactly what that is. And again, that attitude is not to be in the church. We dare not buy into the world's philosophy. In fact, here's the attitude of the believer. Again, far beyond just not sinning. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What are they poor in spirit about? They're broken over their sin. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He goes on to say, blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Folks, that's the attitude. That's the proper attitude for the believer. There's never a flaunting of sin. But I'm telling you, that kind of attitude is creeping into the church. Oh, we we can have uh, homosexuals to come in through the church. That's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just the flaunting of sin. So we see the sexual sins. Number the two the second category is the religious category. Let me give you these two more before we before we adjourn. Next, number four is idolatry. In fact, Peter calls it uh Abominable idolatry. Um, We see that, uh, and and idolatry is just worshiping something that's not God. Anything that's not God, it's just worship of of a an idol. Um, In fact, what we see in scripture, what we see in scripture is that anything that is good can become bad. Worship, we can worship when we elevate it above God, right? That's the idea. When it's elevated above God, that is worship. That is anything that is, takes the place of God. Anything that's more important than God, anything that's more, that we fear more than God, that we love more than God, any of those things we can worship. Now, it would be strange today, wouldn't it? Be strange today to see people bowing down to an idol today. We just don't see that in America. It would be really strange. If we saw idol worship, right? That's, that's what pagans did. That's what they did in the, in the Old Testament. Those are just pagans. But you know what we see today is this people bowing the knee to sports, bowing the knee to jobs or other people or cars or homes or even their kids, anything that's more important than God. More important than God. And, and that attitude cannot creep into the church. In fact, I'll just remind us, here's the, here's the standard that God has set for us. And go, in Luke chapter 14 verse 26 is that he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the standard. There's nothing that compares to our love for God. Number five. And this is again under the category of religious sins, and this is sorcery, sorcery. Uh, the word is uh, pharmakeia. It's the word that we get our word for pharmacist from. And early on, it, it meant any kind of medicine. It, would, it was associated with the medical field, any kind of medicine, any, any medi- generic medicine. But it, then it became specialized to talk about any mood-altering or mind-altering drug. That's, that's They understood that in that day, mind-altering drugs. They understood that. And they would use these drugs to induce a, a higher religious state for communing with the God. And they would use these drugs or or whatever that they would, uh, you know, today mushrooms is the big thing, but anything that would alter the the mind and and so that they would feel like that they could reach some level of of uh, euphoria that would commune with the gods. In fact, uh, the word is actually associated with witchcraft as well in in certain places. Revelation chapter eighteen we see it that uh, Satan. Produces this strong delusion. He call, they call it a, uh, he deceives by sorcery. And, and somehow there's this delusion really of the whole world at, at that time. It could be a drug induced. It, it could be, uh, uh, it, it could be just deception uh, of, of reaching this higher elevation of, of euphoria. It could be this hypnotic state or even some kind of false religion the Bible would call those doctrines of demons, wouldn't it? And, and so you can see drugs, you can see witchcraft, you can see all of these things pulling together and, and under the guise of religion. Now again, just by way of application, the world the world cannot face the truth, folks. And, and what they have to do is they have to they have to put up some kind of facade to soften their their conscience, to soften the blows of this uh, sinful world. They can't face that. They have to distort it in some way. They have to s- distort life in some way because it's too harsh. And, and drugs are too easy because we could just grab a hold of drugs and, and cause us to, to reach some level of, of euphoria that we just forget about life. Alcohol. Any kind of drug that's going to twist the reality and the perspective that God would have for us. They're reaching out for this euphoric state to alleviate harshness. Um, let me throw one out here because I think there's, there's another element to this. And this is, you see this in the, group mentality you get enough people together and you kind of lose yourself don't you you lose yourself to the to the crowd to the mob mentality and folks i see much of the worship today in, in these in these um concert churches that, that the emphasis was just so much on the the music and the emotion that you just kind of lose yourself into this euphoria Folks, that is doctrines of demons That is just, that is wrong. It's a mob mentality. And then out of that, these false teachers can, can show healings and they can show these miracles. What is, what is the higher standard? First Peter chapter four, verse seven. The end of all things is near, Peter says. Therefore be of sober or sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. That's the mindset of the believer. It's not this mob mentality or some kind of euphoria to reach God in, in, this, uh, in this upper realm. Are we so fragile, folks? Are we so fragile? The term today is snowflakes. Are we just snowflakes? Or are we so fragile that we cannot face the harsh reality of life? The harsh reality of this sinful world, but do it from God's standpoint? Do it from this, the standpoint of, of truth. From the way God sees things. Can we live as though God were living right in front of us. This God who we're going to give an account to. Live in front of Him with a sober tone. Live uh, with the confidence though of forgiveness in Christ. That's the, that's the mindset of the believer. Knowing that we are forgiven in Christ. Do we need to be distracted all the time by entertainment? Do we need to be distracted by just the, the, uh, the, the, the cacophony of the world and the music, and everything that's going on in the world? Can we be humble and confident in Christ at the same time? That's what we're called to do. Be sober of mind. It really comes down to this. Do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we really believe what we say we believe? Let me end with this one quote. I love J.C. Ryle. The more I read of him, he has the book called Holiness. J.C. Ryle, let me conclude with this. It costs something to be a true Christian. Now, remember, he's writing 100, 150, 200 years ago. Let that never be forgotten, he says. To be a mere normal Christian and to go to church is cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, to follow Christ, to believe in Christ, to confess Christ requires some self-discipline. And folks, that's what we're calling the church to. We are, we're Puritans. In that sense, that, that we believe that there's this distinction between the world and the church. That the, the standard for holiness is so high. And no one seems to be seeking what pleases God. What would make God happy? What would please the Lord in this situation? That's the mindset of the believer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I thank you Lord for just your word. Lord, even the sins that we go through, just the exposing our own heart, Lord, I pray that you would just convict us. If if we have flirted with the world, if we if the world is an attraction to us, and we would love to just join them, help us, Lord, to to control that heart, to pull that that flesh back in. Lord, help our Help us to have a goal, a mindset of pleasing You, deliberately, intentionally living a lifestyle for Your honor, for Your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.